You've joined us in the Bereavement Room, a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I'm your host, Kolsima Ali. You've joined us in the Bereavement Room. I'm your host, Kolsima Ali. Today's guest is Lekhani Sherwa. Lekhani is a British actress, writer, she performed her one-woman show, Can I Touch Your Hair, at last year's Vault Festival. Lekhani has joined us today to talk about her father, who died unexpectedly in 2016. Welcome, Lekhani. How are you? Hello. I'm okay. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I'm really excited that you're here talking to us today, um, that you're going to share your story with us. Mm. Um, so yeah, what have you been up to this evening before we talk about death, dying and survival? Um, well, I have been packing because I'm going to Amsterdam in the morning for my friend's hen party. Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to like get stuff together because it's been a really long, busy old week and you know, when you're just like, oh my gosh, I haven't done all these things I need to do and then I've just been trying to get them done. But yeah, I think I'm there now. (laughs) Excellent. You did all your holiday shopping tonight, right? Yeah, pretty much. Talk about lastminute.com. <laughs> yeah, always the way. I'm very similar to you. I have this like last minute holiday drama where I'm on Oxford Street somewhere trying to find something. And <laughs> yeah, it's just mad. It's just mad. But thank you so much for joining us in the bereavement room. This is a really important topic and I'm glad you've joined us. So please um, share your story with us today in your own words um so I am mixed race I think it helps to give context sure Um, so my um dad was Malawian and my mum is Cumbrian um (laughs) so I I grew up in Kendal actually in the Lake District lovely um yeah but I moved to London like eight years ago Um, I've been here a long while yeah couldn't wait to leave the hometown just wanted to get in the big city and like you know just experience London life and yeah being an actor obviously London's the place to be it seems Uh, so yeah yeah. and how's the last eight years in London been how have we been treating you um it has been quite tough I'm not gonna lie I think since my dad died um it's just been a lot harder, like grieving in a city where there's just so many people and so much is going on and it's just like, go, 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 go. But you're like feeling quite alone and quite sad. So yeah, it's been rough going. I have had the help and support from like counseling and stuff, which has been good. Um, So yeah, with um, my dad's death, um yeah what happened talk us through the process and the journey I I think you said you were in Malawi at the time is that right yeah I was yeah so um I'd gone to Malawi for my cousin's wedding on my dad's side and um, my dad didn't actually make it over for the wedding I'd spoken to him I think it was like the last conversation we had I'd sort of said to him um you know you should come and he's like oh I can't really afford it I think I'm just gonna leave it And I was like, oh, if I obviously could afford it, I would pay for him to come out as well. 
but I'd kind of booked it very much in advance so it was a lot cheaper for me um and yeah I'd gone out for my cousin's wedding so it was all the sort of yeah. wedding preparations were happening mm. it was really like a sort of hectic time there so I was like seeing family that I haven't seen maybe for like two years or so wow you see everyone's like Lakani you're here good to see you and they're just like asking me how I'm doing and like what what's going on and what I'm up to um and and it was really really nice to see everybody um sure and yeah like my cousin was like literally running around all day every day to like go get tailoring done pick up flowers do this thing do that thing and I was just riding this wave of of doing all of those things with my family um with my cousins and my aunts and uncles um and then yeah one evening we were um we were back at my auntie's house and I got a FaceTime call from my brother which was really really odd because he never calls me and so I was like wait why (laughs) so I was quite surprised yeah I picked up the phone and he just sort of said to me um dad's dead and I was gosh what and he's like yeah dad's dead and I just I couldn't believe it like my mouth dropped open and I was like no 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 I was like you're joking you're joking he's like Lakani I'm really really sorry but he's died and I was just like I've never been that shocked in my whole entire life yeah of course remember like it sounds really dramatic but I literally dropped to the floor oh my gosh catch my breath wow my aunties and everyone everyone around me was like what 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 do they mean your dad's dead and I was like I don't know I don't know and I was just like literally on the floor like halfway between having a panic attack and like Mm. eyes out because I was like this just doesn't feel real this can't this can't be happening and I was just like how how and um literally my auntie like grabbed me and she was just holding me and I was just sobbing and I was yeah it was really really intense you poor thing yeah it was a lot it was a lot and um yeah obviously I was like well how I was like what how has this happened and my brother was like um my mum and dad had split up actually should mention that but they were still really good friends yeah gotten a divorce but they were good friends so they still see a lot of each other and my mum had gone around to my dad's flat and found him there so oh, no set me off even more and oh, I was no. I was incomprehensible and literally everyone was just like trying to like rally around me and like comfort me and support me but I my head was just spinning I was like I can't make sense of this um and yeah I I don't even I can't actually remember like whether I continued having a conversation with my brother because it all feels like such a blur now yeah of course horrible time I feel like in my memory I've kind of like almost forgotten which sounds a bit weird but there's like little bits that keep sort of coming back to me of that day and um sure it's it's probably yeah. shock isn't it it's the shock that kind of shock. And wipes what it out weird is that everyone was like well how? how how's he died like what's happened and mm-hmm. 
my brother was literally like, we don't know, like, we don't know what exactly and specific it is. And then I was just like, what the fuck? And all, am I allowed to swear? Sorry. You are allowed to swear as much as you like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then what happened? So then, yeah, all my family members were like, was your dad ill? Like, what's been going on? And I was like, my dad was actually like an alcoholic. He would drink mm-hmm. quite a fair bit and he smoked like a chimney. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, straight away I was like, oh, it must be to do with his liver because he's been drinking for years, like quite heavily. Um, but I still was just like, this doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real. And then obviously everyone's trying to get me to eat food and drink water and comfort me and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I was just, I just couldn't process any of it, to be quite honest. It yeah. Me, I had to... I had to also answer all these phone calls from other relatives on my dad's side because as soon as we found out, it was like suddenly I was being passed phones being like, they want to talk to such and such auntie wants to talk to you, such and such uncle wants to talk to you. And literally my head was just spinning. And and like, I can't even tell you who exactly I spoke to. And they're like, what's happened? Like, why is he gone? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like... I literally don't fucking know. Like, I don't have the answers. Like, this is news to me. Um, And I guess it was a good thing that I was, obviously, with family. Sure. But it was also quite intense because they hadn't seen my dad for quite a number of years. Yeah. They were just looking at me for the answers. And I was like, but I don't have the answers. Like, this is really quite a lot. So, yeah. um, I... I must have just been put to bed or something. Yeah. And the next day it was just, I don't know. I woke up and I guess I thought it hadn't happened and then I realised that it had. Yeah. Um, I spoke to my sister and my sister used to live with my dad for quite a long period of time. Um. So was your sister with you or was she calling no. you from the UK? She was calling me from the UK, yeah. Oh, okay. Me. I was the only member of like my family from England that was out there so sure. yeah it was really full-on and then I guess it was this whole thing of like we need to find out why that this has happened mm. so apparently they were like running all these tests to do like a post-mortem exam to find out like what what the reasons are like cause of death sure um yeah I spoke to my mum very briefly but she was like incomprehensible like I couldn't have a conversation with her it was really quite devastating yeah yeah that would have been hard I guess because your mother found your father is that right yeah yeah wow wow that's so heavy and so shocking um so kind of talk me through was that while the wedding preparations were happening was it after the wedding the wedding was due to happen in like two days time oh I see and yeah I was just like what the hell so now I've got to like go to a wedding and celebrate I'm not in the mood to celebrate and and put a smile on your face and maybe be asked more questions and I think it was just so weird because there were like conversations being had 
when I wasn't in the room, but like I knew everyone was talking about me and like what we going to do. And there were talks of whether they should like cancel the wedding, but obviously weddings are so expensive mm. and they put a lot of money into it. And uh, my close cousin, Vera, arrived from the States. Now, um, she had lost her father when she was my age, her father and her brother actually in a, in a devastating plane crash. Um, so if there was anyone that could understand what I was going through, it was her. And she sort of just took me under her wing and was like, right, this is going to be a complete madness these next couple of days. Sure. Um, but I promise, like, you will get through it and I'll support you. Um, and she was like, they need to cancel the wedding. Like, it's ridiculous for them to have the wedding when... Um, we've just found out this really devastating news. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. The wedding happened. Yeah. Uh, I just was just going through the motions of, like, doing stuff, but it didn't feel real. So, like, I remember we went to, like, the salon and everyone was like, get your nails and your hair done. And I was like, this is just fucking weird. Yeah. Back, back on it now. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah. should have got the first plane back to England and gone straight up to Kendall to be with like my mum and my sister and my brother but I didn't I couldn't afford it for one uh, yeah and I mean you're probably not also thinking straight either you're you're essentially alone and you haven't seen your family in two years um that's that must have been what what decision could you have made I guess yeah I mean yeah did you think about that though did that pop into your mind or was that more like a reflection after into my mind but I was like I can't do it because I was like I I don't think I can get on a plane by myself like I just don't think I just couldn't do anything really very um I guess like I felt quite despondent maybe Ah. that's the word of just completely like sort of just out of it and they were trying to like give me loads of food and drinks and I was like I can't (laughs) and that's the culture isn't it it's like have food have drink go to sleep you're right (laughs) go to sleep make sure you shower get dressed you know but I was really yeah I was just going through the motions it was a madness yeah gosh so so your cousin that flew in from the states um that's amazing that you had her there to support you. Yeah, it was really good. And and how old were you in 2016? Um, so I'm 26 now. So I was 23. No, I'm 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm bad at numbers as well. Don't worry about it. Even I can't figure that out. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, 20, 24. 24. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because yeah. it happened in October, so yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And your cousin, she'd been through that your age, so your cousin was a little bit older than you, is that right? Yeah, she's like 35, so a fair bit older, but she okay. was just like, this is really, really shit, but like, I've got you. And we, we left like the family home and we went to stay in like these lodges in the middle of nowhere and just literally just sat around not doing anything which I think was what I needed because the two days afterwards was just running around doing so many other things so yeah 
yeah that was like a light relief for me to actually just rest sure. and then the actual wedding day was just it was oh it was quite something because I was just really confused because I'm like I'm here to celebrate I feel like my dad would want me here and he'd want me to be happy but it feels very tainted and they yeah. do like a bit of a um a speech about my dad to announce it so oh, everyone's wow. where oh wow but then I just thought that was really weird because I'm like wow every time they look back on their wedding it's just going to be associated with like my dad's death like my my cousin's uncle's death but that I don't know that feels very weird to me and I'm like personally I I probably wouldn't go ahead with it but she did so so whose decision was it to have that speech was it the bride or her family or it was my dad's brother who is your my uncle yeah okay okay wow yeah, it was a really weird day. Like, one minute I was laughing and dancing, and then the other minute I was just literally sat there, like, oh my God, just thinking, like, this is real, like, it has happened, but it didn't feel real. Well, I think of course, it took yeah. a long time to accept that he was gone because I just kept being like, well, no, it's not. I kept just trying to fight it and I couldn't come to terms with it for a long, long time. So as soon as I, oh God, as soon as I got back to London, my boyfriend at the time. Yeah, so sorry. Um, how many more days were you there after you got the news before I, you went back to London? I can't remember exact days. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Days? Five or six days. Okay. Yeah. And my cousin um, took me to she got on the first flight with me to Nairobi okay maybe Addis Ababa the whole thing is actually a blur and now I'm here really trying to think um but basically she stayed in a hotel with me overnight and got me on my second connecting flight back to London yeah Wow. So who met you at the airport when you returned? Did anyone meet you? Was there anyone at the airport for you? Or no. did you Okay. Did did you kind of just connect through London back to Kendall or London um back to my house that I was living in, which was in Wood Green. Ah, I see, okay. And who was the first person that you kind of saw when you were back in London that you spoke to or you maybe you didn't do you recall or it was my boyfriend at the time oh sure okay no actually it was my friend Liana my housemate I saw her first yeah um and she was just uh my housemates had got me this sort of like care package oh lovely and they got me flowers and oh lovely which was really, really thoughtful, and I was so grateful, and they got me a card and stuff. Yeah. just knackered, and I just wanted to go to bed. But, yeah, my boyfriend at the time was due to come over to see me. So we'd been together for, like, three years. Sure. Um, nearly, maybe, like, two years, eight months. Um, and, yeah, he came round that evening mm-hmm. and uh, was just like, how are you? And I was like, obviously... 
I'm not okay, like I'm still really shocked. And he was just kind of listening to me recall the stories of what I felt had happened in Malawi and how much it was just all really, really hectic. Um, and then you're not going to believe this, but he broke up with me. Oh my God, what, right there and then or a few? Yeah, right there and then, yeah. Oh, how insensitive, what a time to I pick. I know I was literally I on honestly I could not believe it because I oh. didn't see that coming well of course not oh, oh god that is terrible it's like oh hi how are you okay well I'm breaking up with you that is ridiculous talk me through that <laughs> was the weirdest thing so like he was a bit funny with me when he come through the door and didn't really like I don't know he just seemed a bit off but obviously I was like maybe he just feels awkward because obviously I've just found out my dad's died right yeah like this yeah. is a weird situation yeah people are a bit and weird then, like that yeah yeah <laughs> and then he said something along the lines of like I I need to tell you something but I can't tell you it now and I was like what do you mean I was like just say it and he's like oh now's not the time to tell you and I was like well, that's ridiculous and annoying because now you've said that you need to tell me something. Now I want to know. So just tell me what it is. And he was like, I can't. Now's not the right time. And I was like, just tell me. And he was like, no, 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 I can't. And then I got quite frustrated. And I was literally like, just fucking tell me like what it is. You're so like, I was getting really angry and kind of like shouting at him. And he's like, you know what it is. And I was like, no, I don't. Like, what are you doing? I was like, don't be playing games with me right now and he was like I'm breaking up with you and he used some excuse about how his mum was never ever going to accept me because he was Nigerian I guess that's like a oh whole god that's yeah. another conversation oh god <laughs> um and wow. I literally was shaking I was shaking so much and I like was speechless for about a good minute and he was just staring at me and I literally just screamed like get the fuck out wow yeah I just screamed at him to leave and he did he just picked up his stuff and went I was like oh my god I like broke down I went downstairs into my housemate Liana's room and I just fell to the floor once again because I was like wow like what I would see as the two most important men in my life have just gone oh, within the biggest week. Like, what is happening? My whole world just felt like it was falling apart, to be honest. Gosh. Yeah, it was really, really, really intense. Like, that, is, that is incredible. That's just oh, horrible. You You get, you know, you're halfway across the world, you receive unexpected news about your father... And you hoping to come home to some support and wow. Yeah. Speechless. Was, it was a whole nother loss. I was devastated. I was really, really but I wasn't heartbroken or well, I was heartbroken and then I was just like, my heart's breaking again. Like I just don't understand this. Um and yeah, I left it because I was like, I actually can't deal with this right mm. now. Like Mm. I just don't know what to do and I was due to go to Cumbria the next day okay 
be my family mm. and then it was going to be like right we need to work out what we're doing funeral shit and all of that um and yeah got the trainer I was on the phone to my friend telling her about my boyfriend at the time breaking up with me and she was just like he's an absolute cunt like that's so psychopathic <laughs> and I was like well yeah like I'm shook everyone was really 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 surprised which was what scared me because I thought we was going to be together forever like you know the whole like planning your future sure um marriage kids all of that had been spoken about and we were in a really good place I thought so yeah that was just the weirdest thing so, so do you think that I mean do you know if it was to do with his family issues or actually he just didn't know how to be around you because of what you know that your father had died what I actually don't know and to this day I never actually got an explanation from him because oh. I went back to Cumbria I was there for like four days mm. didn't hear from him not a text not a phone call nothing so I was really 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 angry and hurt because I'm like it's one thing to break up with me a week after you know that I found out my dad's passed away mm. but now you're not even going to contact me with mm. like an apology for the timing or anything and I was like mm. this this is hurting me a lot and I can't actually deal with it mm. and I stupidly went on social media and he's like posting on social media as if he's happy as Larry and fine and I was like, this is not okay. So I actually blocked him on everything. Yeah. All forms of contact, block, 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 block. Yeah. Um, because I, I can't deal with this right now. So I was like, sure. I'm just going to block him. Don't want to. If he can do this to me, I don't want to be with him. Mm. Yeah. I saw his true colours. In the, in the time that you needed him most and yeah th that happens quite a lot I find or when other people have shared their story with me there's been some other kind of you know death or loss in the sense of I lost my best friend or my boyfriend yeah yeah, yeah. oh I lost so many friends like <laughs> oh, wow I lost a lot of friends I had a lot of friends that were like friends from uni who were like oh you know this is awful we've got your back we're, get, we're even going to come to Kendall for the funeral they never came wow. um, yeah, yeah 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 it was just like a real real lonely isolating time and yeah we were just waiting on the results for the um like the post-mortem to find out like what the cause of death was but it was really long and drawn out sure so back to London mm. at some point amongst all of this I'd managed to email work to tell them that uh, I found out my dad's died and I can't come to work <laughs> uh, okay and where were you without mentioning the name of the organization what sort of were you act acting somewhere or I wasn't acting but I was working front of house at a, a big theatre building okay yeah. okay so you emailed them and what was their reaction what's compassionate leave like like oh we're so sorry to hear this like take as much time as you need like if there's anything that you need just let us know um uh when I got back to London I was given like a card that was signed by like all the 
bar staff that I worked with, which was quite sweet, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, like a generic sympathy card. Well, the standard thing that you do <laughs> in the workplace when you know someone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, do they give you any time off, if you don't mind me asking? Um, well, the thing is, I was on a fun little zero-hour contract. Oh, gosh. Um, so, you don't really get time off, because if you don't work, you don't get paid. So, I was like, I am really fucked by this situation. And I was panicking, because I was like, what am I going to do for money? Like, I live in London, I've got to try and make my rent. So, luckily, I was part of a union, and... I spoke to the union about it and they were like we can speak to the organization to kind of see what kind of support they can give you oh, fantastic and I I think it's called a benevolent fund oh I've heard of them yeah that's great so I got yeah. a fund which was very very helpful yeah. us big time um and then obviously it was going down the route of like trying to sort out statutory sick pay uh, okay so you went to visit your GP did you yeah went to the GP told them what had happened yeah um so, so did he give you like a signed sick note for a period of time that you yeah. could show the union so the union could talk to the to the place of work I think yeah. it was about two weeks I got initially okay. but my workplace were like there is no rush for you to come back but then me being me, thinking that I'm all right, was just like, I actually need to go back to work. Like, I can't cope. Like, okay. I'm going back to work. So I went back to work, which was the worst idea. And so was that after the full two weeks that you took? Yeah. Under the Benevolent Fund. Is that yeah. right? Just so I understand. And then you got the two weeks extra, or was that just the two weeks with the fund and the doctor signed it off? Well, eventually, so I, I kept going back and forth to Kendall because I had to organise my dad's funeral. So okay. my mum's my not very well. Sure. She has um, a genetic condition that affects her speech and her memory and her muscles. Okay. Um, so she's, she has carers. She's not very well at all. No. So my older brother didn't really get involved in doing an awful lot. I think he did at my dad's flat, but I kind of had to be the one getting the letters and going to the bank and telling the bank and mm. going to citizens' advice and being like, how are we going to afford this funeral? Mm. Really quite peak. Um, yeah. There was so much going on. Like, I can't even begin to tell you. So my family from Malawi were like, right, the funeral's going to be in Malawi. And I was mm. like, whoa, 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 hold up. I was like, who's paying for this? And they're like, we'll find a way, but he should be buried in Malawi. And I was like, that is not practical for anyone that lives in England. Like, that's just not going to happen financially and sort of timing-wise. So I was very strong on being like, no, he's getting buried in Kendall because he spent more than half of his life in Kendal yeah not in Malawi and I was like I understand like my nana wanted him to be buried in Malawi because you know that's where he was born and stuff but I was like it's not 
practically it's just not going to work. Um, and he didn't leave anything with any indication of anything. There was no will, there was no nothing. Yeah. So it was very much like, we just have to do what we need to do. And at the moment, for me to come to terms with what's happening, we need the funeral. So we finally got the um, death certificate through and the cause of death was emphysema, pneumonia. Oh, wow. Low body weight and I can't remember what else. But basically he just hadn't been taking care of himself like at all. Yeah. Or just sort of must have caught up with him, which is really devastating. Sure, yeah, of course. Uh, how did that make you feel when you found out what the, you know, how he had died? I feel like I was like, oh, okay. Now I can kind of accept it a little bit more. But then yeah. I was confused because I thought it was going to be something to do with his liver. We were all very, like, adamant it was going to come back as something to do with that. So to find out it was essentially the cigarettes that... Oh, I don't know. You'll never know, like, the real reason. But no. Yeah, I mean, it helped because it meant we could get the ball rolling on the funeral. But then yeah. we saw the funeral costs. I'm from quite a working-class background. We do not have money anywhere. I don't have money. <laughs> no, yeah, of course. So we were like, shit, how are we paying for this? So quite a few members of my family from Malawi, like, contributed... Oh. For the rest of it, I actually had to do a GoFundMe. Oh, wow. Okay. Actually, the peakest thing I think I've ever done. <laughs> but wow. we needed to do it because there was no other option. No, of, of course. What are we going to do? Yeah. There's literally no support. So I went to Citizens Advice and I tried to be like, there's got to be something that can help. And they were like, because um, my brother's self-employed, I'm self-employed on a zero-hour contract, and my sister wasn't living with my dad at the time. She just moved to Manchester not long before. Yeah. Um, and he was divorced from my mum. Mm. It literally just like there's nothing. Oh, wow. So the government couldn't, they didn't have a policy in place where you can you know, they can give you some benefits or funding. No, there was absolutely nothing. Wow. Wow. So what do you do? So you set up a GoFundMe page. And, and what happened with that? Did that, did that help? It blew up. I could not believe wow. it. So many people donated. I was really, really, really surprised. Um, and, and the people that donated, is it people that were in your environment and network? Or was it strangers? Or Yeah. <laughs> Quite yeah. a few anonymous donations, but the majority were people from my workplace, my friends, my brother's friends, my sister's friends, old family friends. Um, yeah. It was How much? weird because I set it up. It was yeah. my bank account. Yeah. And I remember I looked at my account and I was like, How have I got all this money in my account? This is really weird. How much did you raise? I think we raised about three three grand wow 
that's amazing so that covered the costs well and truly which was amazing wow that was like a huge weight off our shoulders because we just wanted to be able to give him the best send-off possible yeah of course um and that meant that we could and we could just make it nice and actually do an order of service and get flowers and you know it wasn't some flashy funeral by any means I mean but mm. you know it was something that yeah with and yeah that's fantastic I think that's amazing that you know in times like this when there are financial struggles and the government don't have a policy in place and you have you have campaigns like GoFundMe to help you and I I know so many people that have used GoFundMe to fund funeral costs and that's just it is a massive weight off families shoulders when they're grieving and they've got so much to think about whether it's Mm -hmm. you know the death certificate the coroner's report the post-mortem report you know and then the aftermath of dealing with it all And and that's great I'm I'm so happy that that worked for you yeah it was really really good and it's something I'll forever be grateful for yeah Um, because whilst people really struggled to know how to help in any way that was something that they could do to help yeah massively um so it I guess in these times people don't know what helps or what to say and actually you know contributing some money to help with the financial costs doing a Tesco shop self-care packages all these things are really useful even cooking some food because these are the kind of things that you know we probably can't afford to do or have time to think about so yeah um but those things are massively important and and helpful. You've joined us in the Bereavement Room, a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I'm your host, Kolsima Ali. I mean, talk me through the funeral. How how was the day? It was actually a really, really beautiful day. I did have a big argument with my brother, like, beforehand, before it all, because he wanted to, like, post about the funeral on Facebook so all his friends could know about it. But I was like, no, you're not going to do that. That's really tacky and insensitive, and I don't want you to do it. And he's like, but I need a way to tell my friends. And I was like well, if they're your friends, they'll have your number and you can just send them a text or a Facebook message, but you're not putting it on Facebook. Sure. Like, when the date is. Um, So that was a whole big argument within itself. But, yeah, I... um, It was a beautiful day. Family from Malawi did come, but not everyone. My grandma couldn't make it. Sure. She was unwell. Um... It was just such a weird day. It was just weird, like... Funerals are, aren't they, a little bit? Up to you and they're just yeah. like, sorry, we're so sorry, like... And, yeah, I was just quite numb, to be honest. And, yeah, there was just a whole palaver with the cars and getting to the church and... Sure. Uh, my sister did an amazing, like, eulogy, which... Well, it was like a poem. It was so beautiful. I'm so proud of her for doing it. Um, that was really really nice and we had like some nice music like songs that my dad liked 
it was actually a celebration and the wake was a celebration as well. Wow. Less about being sad about it happening and more just celebrating his life because he knew so many people in Kendall. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe one of the only sort of black guys. I mean, there are other black people. Oh, yeah. Is it very rural? I don't know that side of the country very well. Small town majority white population but my dad used to work a lot in the supermarkets so and he was always very cheery and friendly and that was the main thing everyone just kept coming up to us being like oh your dad was so friendly and lovely and upbeat and like we'll miss him yeah that's so lovely yeah so in the end did you feel that well I mean it was a shocking news you were halfway across the world but I guess after the funeral, I guess you had more time to reflect and mm. take it in. Yeah, I got very depressed. Oh. Very, very depressed. But like in a weird way that I was still just doing stuff, like acting like normal. Autopilot. But, but deep down I was so broken. Sure. I drank a lot and I got high a lot. Yeah. And I was wild for like a solid I'm gonna say like three months okay and in those three months was there anyone around you to kind of take help you move away from that or is that something you needed in those three months to get high and to drink is that something that helped you you would say or no I think it did help at the time it wasn't very good but no they needed like you just let it out. Yeah, try and deal with it and just, yeah. Yeah. Numb, numb the pain. Mm, definitely was doing that. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to backtrack a little bit before we yeah. wrap up. Um, you talked a little bit about the Benevolent Fund and Compassionate Leave and obviously you're on a zero contract, zero hours contract, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't get any Compassionate Leave, but through the union they could give you two weeks and then the doctor's note supported that two weeks and yeah. the company you worked for were happy to give you those two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and then you went you felt that you needed to go back because you wanted yeah. to kind of get some normality right yeah 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 and I went back to work and everyone was actually amazing like yeah. it, to be honest the most support that I got was from my work colleagues oh wow <laughs> because it was a real sort of family in the place that I worked sure um and everyone was amazing. My managers were so good at being like, whenever you need to take a moment, just take a moment. So when things got too much, I'd just sit outside on the benches and just have a cry and someone would just be there holding my hand, giving me a hug. Oh, that's so kind. That's so kind. And it's always from the people that you least expect, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. So what was that like for you, knowing that actually it was your work colleagues that really supported you? Because you talked a little bit about your friends, that you lost yeah, quite a few friends was, in the process. Yeah, it was just so weird because I think, like, you know, the three mo- months after it happens, everyone's, like, messaging you constantly, making the, making sure you're okay. But as soon as, like, January came everyone just kind of forgot that all my friends kind of the close friends at the time sort of just yeah 
it was like disappeared that it had happened yeah and they just got on with their lives because that is what everyone does but Mm. I really 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 struggled with that and in February the next year in 2017 I literally like sent a message to all my close friends when I was like I've been to the doctors they've diagnosed me with depression and anxiety because I built up this weird like death anxiety where I was just convinced everyone I loved was gonna die and I'd always panic if people like didn't message me back or people I'd be like I need to know you're okay um and yeah I'd sent this message out and everyone was like we're here if you need us like we're here and I was like they just don't get it it's like yeah show up I think that's the hardest thing is that you expect people to just show up they don't need to say words yeah and also sometimes I guess uh, people when you are grieving your friends kind of expect you to talk and say what's going on in your mind but 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 actually everyone carries it very differently and sometimes it's just helpful to check in rather than do the whole conspiracy of silence thing I don't know if you're familiar with that are you familiar with that yeah it's so weird Mm. yeah they're just like I'll just call like whenever but then I'd find myself literally scrolling through my phone calling no answer calling no answer like different people and I was like this is not no no this is yeah I've just got a yeah just find the people that are here and are helping me um so do you think in that in your grieving process uh, you kind of learned who your I guess who your network of people oh, were I absolutely there's nothing like a death to help you realize who your yeah. friends are right <laughs> yeah 100% honestly like yeah you'll know straight away like yeah. you'll understand and obviously it's a devastating thing that happened to me but it's really like shaped me into the person that I am today because I'm Wonderful. still here and I've gotten through it god willing I, I don't even know how but I am here um but I know, I know who my true friends are and, and that's, that's a good feeling that, and that's a great lesson well it's a sad lesson to learn but it's a valuable one to you know know who that is who your people are yeah for sure for sure your social handles are so that our audience can follow you um on twitter and instagram it is at c-i-t-y-h underscore that's an abbreviation for can i touch your hair um (laughs) underscore and then yeah uh on facebook you can like the page at can i touch your hair i'm hoping to get a website soon um and yeah my personal one is just at Lakani Chirwa um yeah you've joined us in the bereavement room a podcast for our community faith and culture featuring representative voices from across the UK and I'm your host Kosima Ali we're in the bereavement room today and my guest is Lakani Chirwa I am speaking to Lekhani about her father, who died in 2016. Hi, Lekhani, how's it going? Hey, I'm all right, thank you. How are you? 
Yeah, not too bad, thanks. So, how was Amsterdam? I know we took a brief break um, Um, before we last spoke. So, talk me through how your holiday was. Oh, my gosh. Amsterdam was amazing. So, I went for my friend's hen party, and it was just such a laugh. Honestly, like, just had a lot of fun. Just spent the whole time laughing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we had a really, really nice time. Just... um, obviously enjoying like brunching there they do like really great like waffles and pancakes and all of that good stuff um we went on a canal boat tour oh you did that tour awesome yeah (laughs) and went out and stuff yeah it was great it was so much fun awesome um i i went to amsterdam once a very long time ago as well uh, I don't remember much of it, which is a bit worrying. <laughs> it can it can be like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't know what your trip was like, if you remember much of it uh, since yeah. I came back. But, <laughs> I, uh, I do remember it. Um, yeah, <laughs> the majority. You kind of touched on the funeral costs and how your GoFundMe peaked and you were able to fund the costs for that kind of um talk me through the funeral I, I know you said it was a beautiful day uh tell me a bit more about that was it a religious ceremony because I know your father was from Malawi um yeah so the ceremony ceremony itself was um kind of like a really upbeat positive kind of celebration of his life mm. it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be um mm. It was such a huge turnout and it was, I guess, like a religious ceremony um, because we grew up Christian. Uh, My grandmother is very religious and where I grew up, we would go to church like every Sunday. Uh, This particular church called the United Reformed Church, Mm. um, sort of Protestant church. um, And yeah, we, I think we definitely knew that we wanted it to be like a religious ceremony and that's probably something my dad would have wanted um even though like later in his life he perhaps didn't attend church sure it was quite a nice place for us all to go back to sure a lot of memories there Mm. Um, and like we knew um a lot of members of the church and it's it's funny that um you know those people still came to um his funeral yeah it was there was like um hymns and uh um i can't remember if there's actually any religious scripture per se um mm. i think i mentioned it before my sister did this like beautiful poem yeah yeah it was actually really really nice um it felt yeah the right way to do it yeah so um it sounds really beautiful I'm just always really interested in like you know when someone dies if they haven't been religious for some time or you know stop going to mosque or church whatever it is kind of how that fits in with the family culture and community and yeah it was like it it's like we hadn't been back to that church for so many years. Mm. Um, I think maybe I, we stopped going. Well, I personally stopped going maybe like when I just turned a teenager. Sure. So around 13. Yeah. Um, 
but just being back there in that building just brought so many memories back and yeah I think it it would have definitely been somewhere that he would have wanted his ceremony we don't obviously know for sure because there was nothing left by means of what kind of ceremony he wanted or anything like that yeah yeah. particularly because the Malawian side of my family has that um that faith um and prayer and religion all tied in I feel like it would have been weird to not have it there and at the church I, I don't know even even though as I said like my dad didn't attend church in his later part of his life well mm-hmm. not that I like knew of but um I don't know it kind of felt like full circle um uh my sister was christened there I think I might have been christened there as well yeah so, yeah it just yeah all came together nicely and sort of meant to be I guess yeah yeah and I think it's one of those things like I think even if people aren't religious per se Mm. or like might have faith but don't necessarily like go to church every week I think with things like funeral it's like you will obviously step into the church and like pay your respects anyway yeah Yeah, of course yeah um yeah it was it was really really nice it was such a good turnout it was packed so many people um so talk me through the community and the local people because your your father lived most of his life in Cumbria in Kendall is that right yeah 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 yeah. so um my dad uh worked at a lot of different supermarkets in town okay Sometime at Asda, working there when we were younger, yeah. and then he go over to Morrison's. But he nice. also worked at like other places. And he, at one point, he was a chef at an Italian restaurant. And because Kendall is that kind of small town, everyone knows everyone, and everyone wow. just knew my dad. Yeah, at least knew of him. And if he ever saw anyone, he'd always say hello and kind of have a laugh and a joke with them. it was like as soon as word went out you know I had people coming up to me like oh my gosh I've known your dad for years like every time I saw him he was always so happy with a big smile on his face always really chirpy and like took the time to say hello and that was just like really touching because lovely it's like he had like this whole other side of him that I guess I never really knew about because I like moved away from my hometown as soon as I turned 18 so I was like I need to get out of here yeah. <laughs> and I just moved straight to London yeah and, and yeah like people just constantly like saying yeah all these like great things about him and yeah it's mm. like I just never I guess saw that version of him all the time because we did have that distance with me being in London yeah sure yeah I it's it's normal isn't it when you move away and you kind of you speak to your parents when you can speak to them kind of thing especially exactly. when you're young yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah so like I mean uh, I mean I live in London uh I do leave London occasionally but I haven't been to Cumbria so I, I don't know what it's like there but I'm getting the gist that it's quite a small close-knit community is yeah. it qu- quite a white community there is it very multicultural oh, no it's very very white <laughs> indeed oh, okay 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's um, not much by means of ethnicity. Um, I mean, obviously, you have like the small pockets of you know different ethnicities. Couple of Polish people, couple of Indian people, Asians, um, and like a few black people, but not by means of anything in comparison to London. I actually wouldn't even be able to tell you like the exact figures. I think it's that sort of sparse there. Very tiny. Yeah. Tiny population of people yeah, or cultures. Tiny population and yeah, majority um white so so what was that like for your father did he ever talk about that or was he just you know what he never actually really did and it's one of the things like I'm actually quite sad about that I'll never really be able to have that conversation with him about how he found it when he first moved up here and um how it was for him you know being married to my mum in a obviously like biracial relationship with um like mixed race children and mm. I know I had like lots of experiences growing up from having like discrimination or racism but mm. I never really had that conversation with my dad like how he found it at all so um yeah it's like frustrating for me because I'm like there's so many things like now I just think oh I'd love to just chat with him yeah oh that it sounds so oh it's kind of like your identity isn't it you want to kind of know what your that side of that identity is for you in your life and yeah you're not able to well it's it's like when you have milestones your father's not going to be there and it's the same with this I guess yeah. Um, it's tough it's yeah is that something you think about a lot or was it yeah. more so when he died or no definitely I think like um, well I think I mentioned it before I've always got this one woman show mm. that I've created called Can I Touch Your Hair and I did create yeah. it after he passed away but oh. going through that experience the whole show is basically about me and my identity and how I found it growing up in Cumbria, like struggling to manage my Afro hair because I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And my dad tried his best, you know, my mum didn't really touch my hair. Um, And yeah, I've really been trying to like delve into all of those things. And it, it has like, I've come up with a block because I just can't have that conversation with him and there are mm. parts of the play where I like play my dad it's like multi-rolling lots of different characters and trying to find the voice of my dad has been like the hardest thing um wow. it's really really weird like obviously I can hear his voice but me trying to um sorry that's okay oh it's okay hon take your time it's hard I can hear I mean identity is everything isn't it when you grow up in different cultures yeah um take your time take a take your time take a deep breath it's all good that's what that's why we're here that's why we're here to talk about all of this because it's it's so heavy and it's such a heavy thing to carry every day yeah I think it's like 
I, yeah, I just can't find his voice, which is, like, the most devastating thing. Mm. And, like, maybe one day it will come to me, but right now I'm really struggling. Because um, mm. I can hear him, but I can't. Because, obviously, to act as him is, like, a really... It's hard, uh, and I can't quite find it, which is tricky and frustrates me. But um, I think he'd be really proud of me for doing this play um, yeah definitely think, yeah he he would have so much to say about what I'm saying and yeah it sounds so inspirational like your grief even now you know or forever you're so in what you do with your one woman show it's it's so inspirational because this is all part of your grief and how you carry the fact that you're dad died and the conversations you can't have you know all the conversations you can't have your identity your relationships your you know you living in London and the housing situation in London when you're moving around yeah yeah and he lived in London you know that's where he met um yeah Yeah. (laughs) they met in London my my dad's um manager in a restaurant yeah they're both chefs uh for a short period of time um yeah and I think it's really hard with my play because I touch on memories from things that I can remember in relation to my hair like my mum getting frustrated not being able to do it and then my dad sort of taking over but even the times where like it's really quite funny I used to get knits a lot (laughs) 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 and um trying to get a knit comb through my afro hair was just oh bless possible. you so my dad would like just chop my hair off and I'd be devastated and like it's so funny I'd love to just have that conversation with him to be like I don't think you realize how hard that was for me because again that's another thing of identity I always grew up thinking and wanting that long flowing hair that mm. I couldn't achieve and having that taken away Mm. having very short hair Mm. even in terms of like femininity I felt like that was taken away obviously hair grows back it grew back like it's still but it would just be yeah oh yeah it's it's a big part of your life isn't it um a huge part of my life which is why I've written and performed this play because it does just mean so much to me and I've got a story to tell and if anything, Absolutely. me bringing those memories into the show is my way of like honouring my dad a little bit. And my mum, who's still here. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. What, was your, what was your father's name? I don't think we ever talked yeah. about that. So his name um, is Nkondo Autumn Chirwa. Wow. Yeah. Autumn Chirwa. Beautiful. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, Malawian name. I've got a cousin called Nkondo as well. Um, I think it means war. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love our names. They all have these like different meanings, like war, peace, and yeah. My own name has like. A specific meaning as well. Um, Tell me about that. I don't know if we've got time to get into that. Um, oh, okay. I'll well, try and... Tell me what it means anyway. 
it it means leave her alone or leave her leave alone. Me. Yeah, Lakani. Yeah. So my um my grandma, um, so my dad's mum, uh, Vera Chirwa, uh, back in the early seventies, she was one of the first um female lawyers in Malawi. Wow. Her and my granddad uh fought for like human rights and women's rights. And the president at the time, Dr. Banda, he didn't like this. Um, I'm going to really cut this brief and go into too much detail because I could literally be here all night. (laughs) But essentially, um, they got arrested and it went to court. And uh, the Dr. Banda just wanted to imprison them. They both got sentenced to exile. So they were essentially on death row in a prison in Malawi for many, many, many years. Um, This, I think, I can't really think of the dates specifically, but essentially my dad um, got in touch with uh, Amnesty International in the UK Mm. um, and all of his siblings were scattered around Africa. So some of them were in South Africa, some of them were in Zambia or Mm. Tanzania. And they didn't have contact with their parents for all of these years. I think in total it was 13 years. Oh, my God, that's mad. Yeah, so this would have happened in 1990. because okay. No, 1980. Oh, okay. Oh, so many dates. Um, and I was born in 1993. Um, and that was the year that my grandma was released from prison. Unfortunately, my granddad um, died in prison. Um, and when my grandma was released, she came over to England, to the Lake District, to Kendall, to meet me. And she named me Lakani. Um, oh, wow. To be left alone after the ordeal that she'd gone through. Oh, bless. The were awful. Um, really, like, minimal food and sanitation and hydration Mm. Um, she's such a religious woman she used prayer to get through it Mm. um so yeah that's why I'm called Lakani it's such a beautiful name I had no idea that is what it means um but what an amazing story attached to it wow definitely and I think again that's why I'm sharing my story and there's parts in the play where like at the end I'm just like leave her alone because obviously it's this whole thing around hair of there's all the judgment and Mm. things attached to it um I'm thinking in the future I'll probably write a play about my grandma's life (laughs) yeah man she sounds like an amazing woman like an activist fought for her rights she really really is um she's got charities in Malawi there's one called Women's Carers, and it supports and looks after women um, who are trying to get out of like abusive relationships, mm. but also so they can find the freedom to live their own lives. Because sure. I think in Malawi, it's very um, traditional. The woman is the housewife and doesn't earn any money, and the man goes out and earns the money, but she's trying to empower them to get their own education. Sure. So, so that quite- they can get their own careers. Yeah. 
Wow, what an amazing campaign and amazing cause. Yeah. Your your grandma just sounds like, she just sounds like this amazing, you know, woman that didn't take any shit from anyone and really, fought for her yeah, rights. 100%. She's got her own book. It's called Fearless Fighter. Fearless so anyone Fighter. can buy it on Amazon if they yeah. want to read Love more. Because obviously I've just very briefly skimmed through what, skimmed yeah. through what ha- had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Fearless Fighter. That's on Amazon, everyone. For anyone that wants to find out more about Lakani's grandma, I would definitely be looking that up. Um, I'm very big on human rights. So, uh, so just going back a little bit, Lakani, I know that was really hard for you to share, but I think it was important for you to share that story about your identity and your loss and the conversations you can't have. And how it relates to your extended family and your grandma and growing up in Kendall and moving to London what does representation mean to you today do you have a stance on that um I think absolutely representation is so important Mm. I think I grew up not seeing myself represented Mm. whether that be tv film um or anything even in, as simple as something in the magazines mm. or white girls sure so you know me moving to London and pursuing the career that I'm trying to pursue mm. um is really really important I think um minorities have voices that need to be heard and we don't hear enough of them and I think it's so important for us to see ourselves reflected so mm. we can see that we can achieve more than what what um I don't what am I trying to say? We can we can essentially just achieve more um and, and well, it's a win, isn't it? It's a win yeah, for everyone. It's a win for everyone. And I think, you know, um white people are very fortunate that everything is catered to them. Yeah, they don't need to think about their privilege really. They really don't. <laughs> they really don't. And I think that is actually one of the hardest things I find sometimes mm. in London mm. when you come across those white people that don't understand their privilege and you try mm. and like kind of have that conversation and they get so defensive and they just don't want to hear it and like they kind of can invalidate your lived experience when you're literally saying to them but you know it is a little bit harder for me because there's perhaps only one role in that soap for that mixed race girl or Mm. you know that that sort of thing um I think things are changing yeah Um, there's been a massive shift in the industry yeah um, but I would say we're not completely there yet um yeah I would agree with you yeah so important because it's a sense of belonging and I think I've spent so much time feeling a little bit lost Mm. um so yeah, the more I see black women, mixed race women, the more mm. I go, oh, okay, I can relate to that. Mm, there's a place for you. You feel like, yeah, I belong here. Yeah, definitely. And I think because of where I grew up, because I felt a bit lost and out of place mm. being in London, and then obviously it's so multicultural and you're around so many different races. I thrive in that. I love it. I find it so fascinating. Mm. Um, 
and important to see other cultures um, and, and learn from them as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think you just touched on a really important point there about learning from each other, because a lot of the time, I mean, I reflect on this a lot with white communities, I'm, you know, it's the exposure, you know, how, what am I trying to say myself, I guess, when I see a group of white women, for example, in a group, mm-hmm. especially in London, I, that irks me a little bit. And yeah. I, I've been trying to process that. And it irks me because I'm like, how can you not have at least one brown friend or like one ethnic or difference or yeah. other friend in your group yeah. when you're living in London, mm-hmm. working in London? I can't get my head around that. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it, actually, to think that they've completely just not then I don't know, were they not even intrigued to learn about others or or have they consciously made that choice? It's bizarre, isn't it? Mm. Uh, consciously, yeah, you've touched on something else there. It's maybe an unconscious I choice. Think so. Yeah, I think or bias. I, that's yeah. really sad, but I think, you know, it's 2019 and we need to really check ourselves and look in the mirror and look around ourselves and Mm. actually just open our eyes and see Mm. what is going Mm. on. Yeah, absolutely. We've all got a responsibility to check in our prejudices. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. And I, you know, when I did my counselling skills course early this year at Metanoia, we talked about representation and diversity um and I was met with a lot of silence yeah uh, when it was brought up it was uncomfortable yeah. and people commented that they didn't see race or color and anyway I'm not going to oh, go into full, de- yeah. full details about that but that made me very angry I mean I think that that's just yeah. a ridiculous statement and I think it's yeah. actually so harmful to say that you don't see color because mm. yeah it's just completely it's personalizing the voices of people yeah. that have gone through police brutality, workplace discrimination, mm-hmm. you know, not being represented in the media, as you say, in performing yeah. arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It is tough, it's tough. Um, yeah. But I think there are people out there, even something as simple as this, as what we're doing, having this conversation and recording mm-hmm. it, and it will go out there and people can listen to it and actually maybe think. Mm. absolutely absolutely and that's why I set up this podcast because I realized that well I started with the deaf cafe that's how you and I connected yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, the deaf cafe BAME was um it was inspired from a very angry moment that I went through because I realized there was a knowledge gap on different cultures and religions Mm -hmm. and faiths and how things are are done within death and how people grieve differently and different different identities and initially that's why I set that up and that's why this podcast is really important because I think we we need all representative voices Mm -hmm. yeah going to a grief panel with three white women that like you know it's not that I don't like white people you know I've got a lot of white friends I completely agree but that's just not representative of everyone's grief because number one everyone's grief is different but there Mm. are different variations like you said because of people's culture and religion and Mm. just background class even 
you know mm. yeah massively massively well um it's fantastic talking about representation with you um and I hope it does give our listeners a bit of food for thought we'll be talking yeah. more about it later on as well um in further episodes so Lakhani are you ready to talk about your counselling that you had I think you mentioned yeah you did have some grief counselling after you after because you went through a bit of a you know a bit of depression for three months kind of taught me through that yeah so I think like off straight off the bat of it of it happening and me finding out about my dad's death because it was so sudden Mm. and I didn't expect it it was just this huge shock to the system and I think I spent a long time just not processing it and just pushing Mm -hmm. it down and suppressing it and just trying to like get on as normal Mm -hmm. and and obviously it just didn't work and the depression just crept up and Mm -hmm. I was at a point where I felt so isolated and so lonely like I was the only person in the world that was going through this Mm. it's like I really need to see a doctor or try and get help um because it had just gotten so bad I was like literally not eating wow sleeping sleeping too much I'd lost so much weight it was crazy but um, did, did, did anyone around you notice that like your you know your friends where you were you know you were in London at the time I so was, you yeah. weren't with your mum at the time were you oh no I wasn't um no. so yeah I think because of where I worked it it was such a um kind of working kind of family atmosphere yeah. and kind of had my back and was looking after me and there was one of my friends um Olivia who um had actually lost her dad Mm. Um, many years before me but she could really relate and understand yeah I remember she was literally like look honey you need to eat and was like I'm gonna get you some food here's some food and was literally like just there kind of Mm. watching over me and just trying to help me get through it yeah I think um my workplace were so so supportive yeah And and I got those initial sessions at my workplace oh was was that an EAP program they had for you or was that like an employee assistance thing it's like um what would I call it I can't even think of the name of what it was but because it's such a big building that we work in there's literally like a union and then they have um kind of yeah just uh what's the word can't think of what you would call it bear with me um is it like a human resources office or kind of yeah I guess you could say like a HR but it wasn't even that I think it's just a service that's available anyway within the building on site within the building wow so you can just go talk to someone I mean obviously you have to try and get an appointment but I think because of what I was going through um I kind of got bumped to the top yeah um, which I needed and I was so grateful for it and I went to my GP and I did the um I act test uh through my doctor which 
took me to counselling services. Um, so, so sorry, what's the IACT test today? I think I've heard IACT. Um, so they have them um, all across London in different boroughs. Mm. So I think at the time I was in Haringey, it's Adult Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. Okay. It's well. IAPT, yeah. And essentially you can do a self-referral or your doctor can refer you. Mm. And for anybody that is um, struggling with any kind of anxiety disorder or depression, um, essentially anything around mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they essentially do like an assessment so they ask you what's going on and obviously at the time I had so much because it was like my dad had passed away and my partner at the time had broken up with me so it's like two huge losses yeah um and yeah I got offered therapy through that which was amazing and how many sessions did they offer you I initially had 12 wow okay that's pretty good really really good yeah um and then I stopped and then I went back to IAPT and I did CBT a year oh, yeah. later. So that was like an online CBT course. Yeah. And then I'm going to complete another session of therapy. Tomorrow is my last day. Wow. I've had an abundance of free therapy, which has been amazing. And I'm so, so grateful to the NHS because there is no way I'd be able to afford these sessions it's inaccessible, isn't it? It's so inaccessible for somebody like me who's from a working class background. Mm. I don't just have a pot of money to just dip into. Mm. Um, and I've really, really needed it because there's just mm. so many ups and downs and life has thrown me a lot of curveballs. And I think, <laughs> to be honest, I think I needed therapy anyway before my dad passed away. Mm. It's just that this brought up so many other things it so triggered like, things yeah so much more yeah did did you get a lot out of it then I mean it sounds like you did but kind of um I mean what do you what are your thoughts on grief therapy do you think it works does it take time I think grief therapy is a very weird one mm. I feel like I should have waited before I had it because I think the time that I had it I still hadn't really processed it and yeah. gone through the motions mm. um yeah uh so it takes I, some I can't really say whether I specifically just had grief therapy it was just I mean I mean I guess it was because it was talking about loss a lot but yeah. then like I said lots of other things came into play in the end and it and it does that's quite normal did you find that quite normal really for you Definitely. I am um, with the CBT. It was like an online CBT course. So I was very responsible for completing that by myself. And I had somebody to check in with each week. And mm. um, so for that, I really had to do the work. And that was more around changing my behaviors. Yeah. Um, cognitive, isn't it? Completely cognitive to change the way that I think to recognize my triggers to look at my behaviours and the things that I'm doing mm. and try to fight against those because mm. my anxiety at that point was really, really bad. I mm. think I mentioned it last time, like the sort of death anxiety had crept up massively 
and I just was like scared of losing everyone around me um mm. yeah panic about that so that was um that was really really helpful yeah sounds amazing um therapy is one of those things where yes it is inaccessible and I'm really happy to hear that you got a lot of support from the NHS and that you got those sessions because in some cases you know you only get six sessions or you know it can be very convoluted um so was your therapist I'm just going to ask was she white um so the first therapist that I had was white yeah um and then my most recent therapist was a black woman and I I sought that out. So I was particularly like... You were looking was, for that. I was looking for it. And I must mm-hmm. also mention the most recent therapy technically wasn't through the NHS. It was through um, Mind, the yeah. charity. Yeah. Um, but I'd specifically gone, I think it's time that I just have a black therapist so I don't have to explain nuances of my culture. Yeah, absolutely. Because that can be quite tiring. To and have that's to so important. Things. Yeah. That's so important, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the white therapist I had was great. She was really lovely, but she was also very, um, like, middle class. I would describe her as very posh. And I just couldn't get her to understand me because I felt like mm. we were in two complete different worlds. And whilst yeah. she was sympathetic, I struggled with that because I just felt, it just made me feel worse. I don't know why. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, identity then comes into place if because it can make you feel worse. Yeah. Uh, I hear what you're saying on that. You know, I've had white middle class therapists as well. And if you're having to explain the nuances and when they're being sympathetic, you know, that can be quite detrimental for someone yeah. who is from is mixed race or from whatever background Chinese yeah. Indian black people of otherness and difference right yeah yeah um so that's interesting um yeah I think you've touched on something really important there so so you you found a uh it's, you've got another therapist she's a black woman and you found her free mind yeah so in you know without going into the details of your personal relationship with your therapist now is that a massive difference do you think it's like a a big shift from what you had previously Um, on the NHS to now yeah I think it is it feels different but in a good way I feel like it sounds weird but it's almost like a little bit of home it's Mm. like talking to an auntie Except she's not actually my auntie, but, you know, it just, I could relate. We could relate to one another. Um, And, yeah, I just felt like there was a better mutual understanding Mm. when we have our conversations. Um, And, yeah, Mm. I think I made so much progress. Wow. Quite quickly. Yeah, that's important. The reason I could just open up a lot more. Mm. I was very honest and mm. that really helped me overcome a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, I've really done the work 
um, not that I ha wasn't doing the work before, but I felt like maybe I was a bit too raw or, or I was holding back. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was quite soon after your dad had died and yeah. for your depression. Um, so, yeah, it, I guess grief evolves, doesn't it, as you carry yeah. it differently over time. Absolutely. Then mm. 100%. You unpack it in a different way. Mm. Um, because now I can talk about it having accepted it for what it is mm. more, whereas I think previously I was just very much like, it still was very surreal. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a big believer in, you know, cancelling, whether it's to do with your grief. Obviously, you're, you know, in grief cancelling, you will talk about grief, but you'll probably talk about other things, especially if you come from a place where there is difference and otherness in your life, you know, whether you're Indian or mixed race, because identity is a really big part of that conversation mm -hmm. and, yeah. he and healing. And it obviously shows in your day to day because of your show that you have as well and how you're processing your grief um so yeah that's I think that's it's important that we had that conversation um and it'll be I'll be interested to hear um what our listeners think and some of our other guests have to say about that yeah so yeah um I know that at the time when your dad died, you were really angry because obviously you were in a relationship at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about that. You'd just come back from Malawi and you met up with your boyfriend and he kind of gave you some excuse and the re you said that your relationship had ended and that was like a big deal for you in that moment in time because of the two huge losses yeah. are you able to talk a little bit about your anger or yeah I think with the anger it was just like I was livid that somebody could do that to another human being mm. to be honest I like couldn't uh, yeah I really saw red with the whole situation because I just thought I would never dream of doing this to somebody in that time especially that timing time. yeah it, and it really was about the timing because I think it's more a thing of like he could have just done it in so many other different ways mm. um you know just like at least be there for me as a friend Mm. you know I, I, and I think I was just so angry that why me <laughs> why why have I lost my dad and then now my partner like this is just it was kind of like the injustice of it all mm -hmm. but then I couldn't really I think at the time I thought it was injustice but then I had to realize that this is somebody's actions Mm. think that somebody could be so hurtful in that way there is injustice in a way though because if you actually decipher anger I mean this is what I personally think yeah. as, as soon as you decipher anger right that what the real meaning of that is mm -hmm. it's, it's vulnerability it's confusion and when you are angry it's because an injustice is happening something wrong yeah. that is happening to you right okay yeah so 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 yeah, I take that back. It it was an injustice and I felt like really hard done by and I really, really struggled to accept it. And it was really, really hard for me to not blame myself in some way. 
Mm. And I had to really try so hard to be like, it's not me, it's him, you know? Yeah, I hear you. So long for me to really hammer that into myself. Yeah. Um, because I hadn't actually done anything wrong. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, but I had every right to be angry about it. And to be fair, like my friends at the time were very supportive and being like, you do not deserve this and this is fucking shit. Yeah, of course. Even now to this day, like, I can kind of laugh about it now. We're like, oh, do you remember that time when my dad died and my ex broke up with me? Lol, so funny. I can do that now, but at the time that really wasn't the case. No, because it's so raw at the time, isn't it? Yeah, it was so intense. I just was really mad at everything (laughs) and everyone. Yeah, and that's normal. That's a normal reaction. I think anger is healthy it yeah. can be a useful emotion I think yeah definitely it helped yeah it helped me process things right process what was going on for sure yeah yeah definitely yeah I feel like that's a show in itself you could do remember that time my dad died lol and then my boyfriend broke up with me absolutely <laughs> I'm giving I you ideas that, like the material's just there like my <laughs> life is just a constant source of show material yeah (laughs) I'm gonna write a book (laughs) um yeah yeah and I think there was also a lot of anger that I felt towards some of the people that were my friends Mm. because I mentioned it to you last time yeah when when people don't say anything that's really really hard Mm. because you're like why the hell are you not at least trying because I know if if this had happened to one of my friends, I know what I would do to help. Mm. What would you do to help? I would just be there. I would show up. And I think with grief, a lot of people get scared. And they think it's like infectious or something. Like, oh, because that person's died, if I'm around it, someone I know is going to die. That's <laughs> not the case. But I think people get terrified of it and kind of, go oh that's that's too much but that's actually the worst thing that you could do I think obviously no one knows what to say there's no real right words to say but why do you think we don't know what to say as a society do you think that's a cultural problem I think it's completely a cultural problem because I think you know the British are just so like awkward and uptight and (laughs) yeah I just think I think it's ridiculous yeah Yeah, a lip (laughs) Yeah, because you look at, like, other cultures of grieving, it's like a full-on mourning ceremony and everybody just loses their shit and perhaps that we should take a leaf out of other cultures' books, you know. I know if I grew up in Malawi and my dad had died while I was in Malawi, it'd be a completely different experience if I was in the village. Mm. Um, But because I live in England and because this thing that no one wants to talk about Mm. it's weird and I think for me it's like writing me a long message it's sweet and all and I can read it and go oh thanks so much but then I don't know uh, there's nothing after that you know tangible is it not enough to me at the time it just wasn't enough and I needed those friends of mine at the time to just be there 
and just literally like hold my hand or like hang in your sadness isn't it not yeah. fix it but hang there with you but actually just go this is really awful but it's not going to be awful because I'm here with you and I can go not necessarily go through it with you but just know that you're not on your own yeah, yeah they're, they're walking with you isn't it yeah absolutely and I, and I feel like um yeah that that wasn't the case for me and it was very much like my phone was just going off not in terms of phone calls just messages pinging through I'm just kind of looking at it and I'm just like I just want to throw my phone out the window because this doesn't mean anything to me mm. without being ungrateful I know people mean well but to me yeah it's just not it's almost like a tick box isn't it let me send her that message yeah I'm here for you I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm here for you if you need me you know call me (sighs) why am I going to call you in my grief yeah and and I think that is the ridiculous thing people say I'm here for you call me if you need me but I don't think they understand that they actually need to call you because you're not in I was not in any place to reach out to anyone because you do retract and you go into yourself isolating and it's so hard to scramble out of that and go I'm feeling really awful let me call someone Mm. because you never want to put this feeling on anyone else so it's almost like you just need them to come to you Mm. yeah yeah I I really struggled at the anger with that and I think I very much just kind of went on a bit of a a silent spree myself of just going I'm not even going to bother I think I said it last time, like, when a loved one of yours dies, you realise who your true friends are. Yeah. 100% hands down. Yeah. And it's really opened my eyes. And now I can be like, the friends that I have around me, I know are actually my friends. Yeah. It's a hard but valuable lesson, I think. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Mm. yeah it's tough it's a hard pill to swallow to and and I think it's really difficult as well because in life people do have other things going on and mm. um, the world just doesn't stop just because your dad died so I think that's another hard thing to accept but I felt angry angry mm. still just doing whatever they're doing quite rightly so I think uh, of course you will you will feel angry because the people you think that are you know without talking about Tesco all the time they're going to get so much rep but you want those people to come there and hold your hand as you said and do your shopping for you at Tesco because yeah. you're, you're not going to be thinking about buying liquid and toilet rolls you know <laughs> go and go and do my shopping for me because I'm incomprehensible right now yeah. I can't speak and I, it's pain like dying yeah yeah 100% run me a bath like Mm. make my bed like Mm. shove some food in front of me Mm. and force me to eat (laughs) because I really yeah I I wasn't looking after myself in any sense and you don't when someone you love has died you don't look after yourself it it happens like that and mm, yeah. I really I really do p- believe that there can be a bit more love when it comes to death I, oh, dying. I completely agree yeah there's not enough mm. there's not enough of that love and support um yeah and an actual act 
I think it's the act of it, isn't it, rather than mm. the wishy-washy words. One hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. The the words really. I don't. You know, I won't go into my story because that's not why we're here today. But the words to me, when when I went through my stuff, was very meaningless. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So, were there any words that really annoyed you? Um, typically, just the um, the whole. Oh, if people go, they're in. They're in a better place. Yeah. Like, um, no. Classic. No, they're not. Don't say that because you don't. Number one, you don't know that. Mm, mm. And number two is if that's what I want to hear, that this is a good thing that's happened. That's Because that's essentially what you're trying to say. Sorry, I'm getting a bit angry now thinking that's about good. <laughs> I like it. I love angry people, honestly. I'm so... Yeah. Go for it. Get the angry. That place thing is just utter bollocks. Um, what else? I think it's like, you're going to be all right. That's another okay. thing that don't want to hear because I think I'm quite a rational person and I know like I'm strong and I know maybe I will be all right but it's not one what you want to hear when you're not all right Mm. yeah I think it's just frustrating I think with anything when someone's just like oh it's going to be okay like trying to rescue you yeah or they're trying to just kind of say like well you don't need to be sad because it is going to sort it's like you are going to be okay like that's not the point, is it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like it's right not. now. Right now, that's not what you need to hear, is it? No, and you don't know if someone's going to be okay. If you're going to be okay, you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of just another bullshit thing that they're trying to say to make themselves feel better. Or it's yeah. almost like they're trying to convince. It's about them. them. Yes. Yes. And I think that is the hardest thing when you realise that. People are only saying stuff to make themselves feel better. Yeah, that's shit. Really shit. Mm. Well, I hope those that are listening uh, kind of take something from that. I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Well, look, Harney, it's been amazing speaking to you and you sharing your story. You've been so brave really inspirational um before we go on to our little gratefulness challenge that I'd like to do would you do you want to take part in this little gratefulness thing absolutely yeah Uh so before we do that is there anything else that you kind of want to say to the people that are listening about your experiences what you know Mm -hmm. any final thoughts from you um I think my final thoughts would be that you know grief will happen to you if you haven't experienced it before it will happen to everyone because death is inevitable and people die so I think if you know somebody who's lost someone just try and show as much love as possible because I think that's all we need is to love each other that little bit more Mm. um when these things happen rather than just get scared like don't be scared to have a conversation or just show up Mm. because that will mean so much more um than you not doing it and yeah I think try and just have a better 
everyone should try and have a better understanding. Yeah. Look, Carney Choa, that was really beautiful, really stunning. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So let's do this gratefulness thing. It's a bit cheesy, but I really like doing this. Okay. Um, what are you grateful for today? Um, I am grateful to still be here, actually. Um, I'm grateful to have made it through what I've been through. Um, and yeah, to still be keep, to keep on going. Um, so essentially I'm grateful for the strength. I don't know where the hell it's come from. Actually, probably my grandma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm grateful to just keep waking up and keep going with everything that I'm trying to do in this crazy life this crazy world and all the things that we have to experience yeah and I have to say I think you're doing an absolute stellar job of it I'm massively inspired by you oh that's really sweet yeah um and I would like to kind of close with a message um to that I am grateful to be here listening to your story. I appreciate sometimes it's hard to share that with a, a stranger. Um, yeah. So I, I'm grateful for, for that, really, today. Oh. I uh, that I've done it, to be honest. It feels, yeah, like liberating, but also at the same time quite frightening. But, you know, we have to do the things that scare us. 100%. We do, because that's kind of how you would overcome your fears, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been really humbling to speak to you um, over this time and for you to share your story. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. And I would like to kind of close with a final message, actually, to everybody. You're in the bereavement room. I was talking to Lakani Cherwa. She was telling me about her father who died in 2016. You know, in my own experiences over time, I often hear this statement from people where they say to me, I, you know, from colleagues, peers, friends, acquaintances, they often say, I don't know how you do what you do. And I've never known how to respond to that. In the past, I've never known. I would always be silent and kind of stare back at the person when they say that. But I now actually have an answer to that. Well, I didn't have a choice and you're not going to have a choice either. So what can I do? You know, how do I do what I do? I don't have a fucking choice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What a frigging statement to make. So now I've got the answer for you. I didn't have the answer before, but there's the answer. I didn't have a fucking choice. Anyway. (laughs) You're amazing as well. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, Lakani. Lakani Chera is in the bereavement room. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.